Awesome, awesome. I hope you all enjoyed worship this morning. If you would, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, where we'll be studying uh, verses 19 through 30 here in just a few moments. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, uh, we got you covered. Uh, just raise your hand and one of the Beacon Hill team members will bring a copy of God's Word down to you. Uh, if you don't have one at home, take it with you as our gift to you. We want to make sure everyone has a copy of God's Word. Uh, while we're uh, turning there, I want to just make a couple of uh, announcements, a couple of notes. One is we believe in the power of prayer here at this church. We believe that uh, God can move mountains through prayer. And so at the end of service, we will have a time where you can come down and, and have some of our members and myself pray over you, intercede with you, whatever you got going on in your life. Uh, at the same time, at the end of service, right out those doors, we have a small circular table. There'll be some of our Beacon Hill team members out there with prayer cards. If you have any prayer needs in your life, uh, just write down what's going on and I will personally pray over those needs every day for the next 30 days. We just believe that much in the power of prayer. The second thing I wanna share with you is uh, at this church, we've been uh, coming up on a year here, just a few months of being a church family and we've had a lot of firsts. Uh, here throughout this year. And one of the first is going to take place next week. We're having our first baptism as a church family. Yes, amen. Uh, we are excited about that. Uh, and so I want to let you know, if you have never uh, been baptized by immersion and you want to follow through with believers' baptism, I want you to respond this morning in just a few moments after the message and say, I want to get baptized. Uh, and we'll walk you through the next steps and you can be part of the first baptism here at Beacon Hill Church. Uh, some of you are here today and you might say, what is this thing called baptism? Uh, what is it? What does it mean? And I'm telling you, it's literally the first act of obedience that you should do as a person who has been born again, someone who has trusted Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. It's a symbol of your salvation. It does not save you, but you do it because you are saved. Uh, Jesus tells us to do that in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So we would love to walk through with you about what it means to be baptized. Don't be bashful. Uh, we'd love to celebrate with you what God is doing in your lives so much that uh, we we, uh, we came from a Southern Baptist background. We're not a denominational church here, but a Southern Baptist, we love to eat. So next week, we're gonna have a potluck uh, lunch after church just to celebrate what God is doing. And so we'll either be in the children's area or depending on the weather, as long as it's not 120 like it was this week, um, we might do it outside. So uh, make sure you come and you celebrate with us and invite some friends. Right now, let me read the word of God this morning in Philippians chapter two. Verses 19 through 30, I'd ask you to stand in honor of reading God's word. Philippians chapter two, verses 19 through 30. The word of God says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Ephroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. 
I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Dear Heavenly Father, as we continue with worship this morning and we break open your word, I pray that you would speak uh, through me, your servant, for your glory. May I decrease and you increase and you get every single bit of the glory. Lord, I pray that if people here today don't you know you as Lord and Savior, today would be the day of salvation for them. Lord, I pray for our hearts to be pierced now as we proclaim your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I have entitled the message this morning, Out of the Ordinary. Out of the Ordinary. One of my favorite pastors of all time is the late S.M. Lockridge. S.M. Lockridge was a pastor who, who just literally flat out preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he didn't care whose toes he stepped on uh, along the way. He just preached what the gospel said, and it didn't matter how, how it was received in the ears or how easy it was on the ears. He said that a sermon should contain four things. He said a sermon should stretch your mind. That is that it should inform you, it should instruct you, it should teach you something about God's word. He said the second thing that a sermon should do is not only inform you and instruct you, but it should tan your hide. He said if you read God's word and you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, your toes will be stepped on. It will cause you to be corrected, to, to literally set you on the right path. Thirdly, he said that a sermon should warm your heart. It should inspire you when you see God's love for you. A sermon should inspire you, but a sermon should also provoke the will. That is, it should challenge you to put into action what you hear from God's word. And if you hear any message that is centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will do those four things because the gospel will stretch you. The, the gospel will make you feel uneasy. The gospel will soothe your soul and the gospel will challenge you and change you. As I come to this message this morning and this, this letter that Paul is continuing to the church in Philippi, it contains all these elements that I'm talking about in a sermon. And I pray that we leave here understanding what our call is and our purpose. And we leave here provoked to do something about it. As Paul works his way through this letter, he masterfully comes over three things that I want to share with you this morning. He, he does a rebuke of the church. He gives an example for the church and he gives an exhortation to the church. This morning, first, I want to share with you the rebuke of the church. If you have your Bibles open, look with me at verses 19 through 20, what God's word says. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. There is no doubt that, that Paul spent his life serving Jesus whenever and wherever. It didn't matter where it was. It didn't matter how dangerous it was. He literally lived out his motto, to live is Christ, to die is gain. While, while Paul was in a place where he really desired to be in Philippi, but he was stuck in, in false imprisonment in Rome. Literally, his body was in one place and his heart was in another place. Have you ever been like that? 
like in a place to where you were physically in one place, but your heart was somewhere else. Maybe a job kept you. Maybe you sent your kids off the camp and your heart literally went with them. And so you wanted to be, you wanted to see how they were doing. See, you can relate to what Paul was going through. He heard that the church that he started, the church of Philippi, was going through a tough time. He, he heard that they were having some disputes. They had false teachers coming in and he wanted to be there, but he couldn't. He wanted to encourage them, but he, he couldn't go at the time. And so in lieu of him, being able to go on his own. He wanted to send somebody to go and find out and encourage the church of Philippi. Remember, I think, uh, I, I'm amazed, like kids today don't even know what a fax machine is, right? I mean, that's just how quick technology has gone. So you have to remember, this is, this is way, way before the days of social media, uh, cell phones. Uh, they actually got communication to somebody, but actually a personal visit. Remember when we used to do those things? This is how they actually got communication to them or how they delivered mail. And certainly, with, with Paul being unable to go, and Paul literally being the vessel that God used to share the gospel with so many people and lives were changed for eternity because of Paul being on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ, you would think that a host of people would have been willing to go and had delivered this message that Paul wanted to send to the church at Philippi. There should have been a surplus of people that, that wanted to go and minister to the church of Philippi because it was something that was important to the apostle Paul. But I want you to see in scripture what we see when Paul looked for someone to send. Look at verse 20. He says, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. Just picture this for a moment. Paul was unable to go anywhere at the moment because of his imprisonment. But other people that were there that were ministering to him, that were believers, they were freely able to go anywhere that, that, that they needed to be for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when Paul looked around, he literally couldn't find anyone. And so he breaks open the church roster and he says, well, they have traveled baseball this weekend. They have tickets to Tanya Tucker at the Beacon this Friday night. They're going to Paradise Beach Club this week. He literally went through the entire roster and he found no one. He found not one person in the church that made themselves available to go and minister to a sister church. Church, this shouldn't be. This should not be. If the church is going to live out its mission, to be a beacon of light in the community and to push back darkness, not only here, but to the ends of the earth. We're going to have to say, send me instead of sit me because I've got other plans this weekend. This is literally what the church is going to have to do. The gospel has to be the center of everything that we do. When we talked last week about walking the walk and making sacrifices for the kingdom of God, this is what I'm talking about. We have to have the attitude like, I'm down, I'll go anywhere. I'll do whatever it takes, not out of compulsion, but out of advancement for the kingdom of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's two main factors that I see in this scripture, why this is the case, why, why Paul couldn't find anybody in the church. And the first one is this, is that the church is church-minded and not kingdom-minded. Look what scripture says. He says, no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare 
When I look at the average church today, actually the, the majority of the churches in America today, they operate out of a bubble of church focus instead of kingdom focus. They literally say, how can I build our church and how, instead of how can I build the church? As a body of believers, we have been called and been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ to be on mission for his kingdom whenever and however to the glory of God. This statement that, that Paul made should have pierced the hearts of those who were receiving the letter and it should pierce our hearts as well. Are we really concerned about our sister church's welfare? Now, to be fair about this, you, you really can't be aware of our sister church's welfare unless really I kind of bring it to your attention. And when I bring to attention that of needs that are happening in our sister churches, I can't make you care about them. That is something that you have to have a piercing of the heart to care about what is going on. We are blessed at Beacon Hill Church to have another church who genuinely concerns about us. I don't know if you know this, but like I've been preaching every week since January. I love preaching. It's not the preaching that's the hard part. It's the preparation. You know, H.B. Charles said, if you sweat in the study, you can relax in the pulpit. So I've been preaching every week since January, and, and I love preaching, but I'm kind of run down. I'm kinda, I kind of need a break. I need a week off. And, and there was a, a guy that God brought into our family's life about a year ago at the Cutting It Straight Conference, and he's preached here. Remember Pastor Jan? He's preached here a couple of times. Yes, amen, yeah. And so he, uh, I was on the phone with him just a couple of weeks ago, and, and we were talking, and he realized that I hadn't had a break since the last time that he was here. And so... He didn't, he didn't like try to find an excuse. He said, you know what, pastor? Give me two dates in August and I'm gonna to go to my church and tell them that we need to come and we need to minister to a sister church in Virginia. He, yeah, I mean, think about this. It's not like he's looking for a place to preach. He has a church that God has put him over top of that, that he ministers to weekly. When he goes away, they have to find somebody to fill his spot. When, they, when he went to his church, when he went to the elders, they didn't say, what are we going to do? And you can't do that. They said, go to Hopewell and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we need you to do. And Pastor Jan will be here the first Sunday in August. This is what it means, church, to, to be kingdom-minded and not just church-minded. And, and I pray that we are people that are doing that. We are filling the needs of what is happening in biblical sister churches that we are helping, we are partnering, we're coming alongside of because it's not about our church. It's not about making the name of Beacon Hill Church famous. It's about making the name of Jesus Christ famous wherever we go. And I pray that we understand that. Our motto as a church is to get comfortable being uncomfortable. This, this is literally what, what Paul is asking people to do. It's literally the easiest thing to get outside the box as humanly possible for the kingdom of God. Notice what Paul is asking them to do. He's looking through the church roster and he's asking people not to go into places that have never heard the gospel, not to go into evangelize or to get something out of their skill set. He's asking people, would you go to the church of Philippi and minister to a sister church and minister to their needs and encourage them for a period of time. This is something that I desire our church to be, a kingdom building church. Do you know, we were talking, I was talking to one of our members just before service. There's literally mission trips that you can go on 
uh, overseas where your whole task is to babysit, just to babysit. Because there are missionaries that have gone to the ends of the earth that are, are going every single day into dangerous places and they come home every day, they gotta take care of the kids and they never get a break. They never get a weekend just to, just to be a couple. And yet there are mission trips that, that literally you can go on just to give them a refresher weekend, just to watch their kids, just to watch over them. This is what it means to be kingdom-minded. Churches that need a worship leader. I pray that we're able to give some of our talent that we have. We have been blessed with a lot of musical talent here, none of which comes from me. I can tell you that we are blessed to see what God is doing. You need to ask yourself, will I make myself available for kingdom purposes? When Paul looked around, he couldn't find one person that would be genuinely concerned for the welfare of a sister church family. And then Paul states why that is. Paul states afterwards why he couldn't find anybody. Not only were they church-focused instead of kingdom-focused, but he gives the reason for it at the back half of verse 20 when he says that for they seek their own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. It was selfish ambition and not godly ambition. Paul didn't pull any punches with this statement. He didn't say some of the church was selfish. He didn't say that, that there was a couple that are willing to go. He said the entire church was selfish and looking out after their own needs and not those of King Jesus. I remember David Platt one time telling a story about how he read in a magazine, and I don't know the exact figures, but it went something like this. He said, I read in a magazine where this one church uh, had raised $10 million for their new um, campus. They raised $10 million to build their new campus. And there's a huge article about, about all this money that is raised for this new campus. And then right beside it, in this, this small article in the corner, it said Southern Baptist raised $5,000 for international missions. Look, church, this is really how we've been brought up. We, we, we look and we will give to whatever we deem that will help us the most and not necessarily that will help expand the kingdom. When you look at ourselves and you look at the church in America, you have to ask yourselves, are we looking at kingdom-minded? Is this what we, we really are focused on? And I know the answer to that because you know that there are still 3 billion people in this world who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. That should not be. That should not be because the church has lived in such a, a, a bubble. And I think the problem here is that we've been brought up that way. We've been brought up to take care of ourselves. That's, that's the worldview, to take care of your first needs, to take care of your family, to take care of you before you worry about somebody else. Have you ever been taught what it means to be kingdom-minded, what it means to have a mind of Jesus Christ? See, it's my desire as pastor of this church, that every member of this church goes on a mission trip. Matter of fact, it would be my desire that each person in this church goes on a mission trip every year, goes on mission somewhere else. Matter of fact, we're on mission as soon as we leave this door for the record, but that we would go and we would help and we would partner with other churches to push back darkness across the world. I pray as pastor of this church that by the time each and every single one of our students has graduated, that they would not only go on one mission trip nationally, but they would have gone on one mission trip internationally. I wanted their mindset to be on mission for Jesus Christ from as early as they can walk. I want them to understand that we are part of a kingdom. We're forming a mission team here. We're gonna meet in a couple of weeks. If you wanna be a part of what God is doing and being a part of where we're going to go, I pray that you'll be a part of this. We're going to pray through the needs of what we can do. We can't go everywhere, but where we can, we will go. 
If we're going to be the beacon of light that God calls us to be, we're going to have to have the mindset of Jesus Christ and step out in faith, serving him and being sent by him. William Carey says this, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. May we be a body of believers that not only expects great things from God, but are willing to attempt great things for him. So this is a rebuke of the church and really it's a rebuke to us too, isn't it? We have to look ourselves. Do we genuinely care about our sister churches? Are we concerned about the welfare of the churches? A matter of fact, if every person got saved in Hopewell, but none of it happened here, will we still celebrate for what is happening in Hopewell? That is the heart that we have to have. I hope that's not the case. I hope we see the raptors filled here, but I'm gonna celebrate for every single person that turns their life over to Jesus here in Hopewell. And I pray that you will too. And I think sometimes while we were so church-minded and not kingdom-minded about why we think this way, why it's our mindset, it's because a lot of us don't think that we can do it. Like, we, we don't think that, we look at the Bible and we see these people and they're almost like characters in a story. We look, we, we look at Paul, we look at Moses, we look at, at all these people and we don't realize like, they are people that God used to do extraordinary things. I mean, we even do that to missionaries today. I've literally uh, been able to go to the International Mission Board. I go to the North American Mission Boards, and we see these families that are going to the ends of the earth. And, and, and I take people with me, and I'm like, wow, where did these people come from? You know where they came from? They came from the local church. This is where people came from. They came from the local church. They're sitting in the seats that you're sitting in, and you are some of the people that God is going to send out to the ends of the earth. If you understand that God can use you, they started in the local church. They were faithful servants who made themselves available and teachable and were used by God for his glory. These are the ones when the pastor looked around and said, I need somebody to go somewhere. He didn't have to sit there and coerce them. These are the ones that were saying, I want to go. I want to go. I don't know how God's going to provide, but you put me down because I'm going. These are the ones that, that God calls. They have a heart for others. They have the mind of Jesus Christ. We look at this scripture and Paul gives us two examples, an example of the church, example for the church, that we have two examples of ordinary people that God used to do extraordinary things. The first one is Timothy. When we look at Timothy, he says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. See, Timothy was brought up in a mixed faith household. His mother was a Hebrew. His father was a Gentile. What that mean is really one person feared God and one person was uh, either opposed to God or an atheist or just didn't believe in him, didn't have a relationship with him. This is the way Timothy brought up. He didn't let that actually be a hindrance to him. We see in 2 Timothy chapter one that he literally had the faith instilled in him from a child, a faith that was first in his grandmother and then in his mother and then lived in him as well. See, I know a lot of us in this room, we come from places where maybe you're here today and, and you didn't have a, you had one, one family member who was strong in the gospel and one who really made it difficult to go to church. And yet you're here today. I want you to look at Timothy as an example. You can be used for God's glory. You, you have that foundation. You know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You gotta say, look, I can't, I can't be uh, my parents' Holy Spirit I can't be my grandmother's Holy Spirit, but I can allow the Holy Spirit to use me. And I sit there and I look at this and Timothy was somebody who literally made himself available. 
He made himself available and God used him for extraordinary things. The second one that we see here is Ephroditus. We look at Ephroditus and, and he is somebody who came from a Gentile background. That means that neither parent had a religious background. None of them knew about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And apparently Ephroditus had come to faith uh, while he was uh, in Philippi. So those of you who are sitting there and like, maybe you're just new to the church. Maybe you've come here by yourself today. Maybe you're trying to figure out your own walk and you say, can God literally use me? Can, can God send me to the ends of the earth? And I'm telling you, yes, he can. I've seen it in Ephroditus' life. God used him to do mighty things for the gospel. Matter of fact, when you ask yourself, why did Paul not say, uh, I found Timothy and Ephroditus to go? Like, remember that when he said, I found no one but Timothy? Why did not Paul say, uh, I got Timothy and Ephroditus to go? We, we see this in the fact that he already had his yes on the table. Ephroditus actually came from the church of Philippi. And when they wanted to send a gift to Paul, he said, I'll go. I'll be the one to go. And he went the 800 mile journey to be with Paul in Rome. And he wanted to go and stay with him. And yet on that journey, he got sick to the point of death. Back in those days, there was this thing called Roman fever. And a lot of people contracted them. And yet a lot of people died by it. And yet he, he came all that way and he nearly died and he understood the church was going to be literally worried about him, but he knew that he was on mission where he was. And so he wasn't ready to leave yet because he was still ministering to Paul. But yet he says, look, if you need me to go back, I'll do that. Whatever you need me to do for the glory of God, I'll go. And yet we see what Paul thought about him. Somebody who came from a, a non-religious background that Paul would literally call a co-worker in the faith, a soldier in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, this is how I think of him, a brother. This is somebody that he literally saw come beside him. He didn't see himself as above Ephroditus. He saw him as a partner in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool to see that? Like God can use anybody for his glory. Paul exhorted the church to receive him with joy and honor. Paul was a spiritual father to Timothy when he had no godly earthly father. Ephroditus was a, a brother in the mission for Paul. He was somebody that encouraged him, somebody who was on mission for him. And so when I look at this passage, when I look at the characteristics of these two men, I literally see an exhortation to the church for us today. I see people that if you would do these three things, if you would do these three things today, I'm telling you that there is no limits to what God can do in your life. The first thing that I see in both of these men is that they were faithful. They were faithful. They didn't care what it was that they said, God, I'm available to be used by you. The scripture that says those who have had uh, been faithful with little, I'll give them much. Wherever you're doing, serve God faithfully. Whatever you're doing, serve God faithfully. If you're the one that is here on the fit team, serve God faithfully. If you're on the prayer team, serve God faithfully. If you're videotaping a sermon, serve God faithfully. If you're doing the praise team, serve God faithfully. If somebody would give me a drink of water, serve God faithfully. I'm serious, I need one right now. But I'm telling you, whatever it is, Serve him faithfully. Start serving him and allow him to direct your steps into the next path that you're going on. The second thing that I see in both of these men is that they were available. 
They made themselves available to be used by God. They, they said, wherever you need me to go. I mean, I just came from Philippi. I nearly died. I might die on the way back. But you know what? God took care of all that. He had mercy on me. He delivered me. And you know what? God is not going uh, to stop using you until he's ready for you to be with him. So I know some of you here today are thinking, can I, can I be used by God? Yes. Yes is the answer. I had a 90-year-old lady who walked into my evangelism class one time and said, can I be used by God? Is this a class for me? And I said, if you're breathing, you can be used by God. Would you make yourself available to be used by him? And the third thing that I see in this scripture is that they were teachable. This is one of the things that are so hard in the church today. So many people are unteachable. They think I know it all and I can tell you what, the Bible's the only thing that I know that is shallow enough that you won't drown and deep enough to where you'll never reach the bottom. There's a place that you can always learn more about the gospel. Make yourself faithful, make yourself available and be teachable. And I can tell you that God will use you to do mighty things for his kingdom. This morning, as we come to invitation, I ask you to put your yes on the table to say, God, I'll go anywhere you need me to go. I'll do whatever it means, whatever you need me to do, how small a task, how great a task. I don't know how it's going to be done. I don't feel equipped to be done, but I trust that you are going to equip me to go. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And so I pray that you would put your yes on the table. If you don't know Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, I pray that it's the first step that you make today. The first step in being faithful is to come forth and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Understand that you're a sinner, that you need saving, and that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Maybe you want to unite as part of this church and to join us in mission to making much of his name across this country and across this world for his glory. Whatever decision you have to make today, I trust the Holy Spirit is working on your heart. I'm going to pray, then I'm going to ask you to stand and respond. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you for who you are. I thank you for being a God who loves us, a God who's concerned not just with the people of Hopewell, not just with our family, but is concerned with each and every single person in this world. Lord, that you desire that all people praise you. Your scripture says in Psalm 67, let, let all people praise you. Let every single person in this world praise you. May we be a church that is faithful to the call that you have planted us here to be. May we be a church that is available not, not looking at our worldly plans, but looking at gospel-centered plans that may be teachable. And Lord, may you use each and every single one of us for your glory. Now, Lord, I, I trust and I pray that you are working on the hearts of the people in this room. And Lord, that somebody needs to make a decision today. Maybe they need to turn their life over to you. Maybe they need to just put their yes on the table. Maybe they need to just let their fear aside and just say, God, I'm gonna trust in you and not what I see but what I know is that you are the King of Kings and you're the Lord of Lords and you love me and you saved me and you can use me to help lead someone else to that same knowledge. Lord, may you be glorified through it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and respond this morning.